Good morning. On behalf of Consistory, on this beautiful, sunny, yet cold Christmas morning, we'd like to welcome everyone to worship. We're grateful you're here and able to join us as we gather to worship our Lord and Savior on the day of celebration of his birth. Uh, we have a couple of announcements. Uh, first, there is no Sunday school or catechism, as everybody probably is aware. Also, no coffee fellowship this morning, as everybody is sure has Christmas dinner planned and wants to get home. Uh, one announcement, Liz Port's mom has returned home, but we continue to ask for prayers for her continued heart health, uh, as she is still in a very weak state with regarding her health and her heart. Uh, but before Pastor calls us to worship, then let's turn in our hymnals to number 324. Number 324, the song of the month, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor. We're going to sing verses 1 and 3, verses 1 and 3 of number worship this Lord and Savior, we will begin with a prayer of invocation as we ask the Lord to bless this service. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we gather together on your Lord's Day, the day of the week of your resurrection, a figure of what lies ahead, a mark of new birth the day that orients us to this new life. And we pray that the grandeur of this time of corporate worship would not be lost to us, that we would know we assemble with the saints of all ages and find here the heavens open by your Spirit, that we may join our worship with theirs to your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bless this worship and even give us a gift that you would work through us acceptable worship to your name. May we praise you. May we glory in the knowledge that we bring thanksgiving and praise that is accepted 
through Jesus' sacrifice. We ask this in your great name. Amen. Please stand for our call to worship. Our Lord calls us to worship this morning in Nehemiah 9, verses 5 and 6. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. We are called to join with that host of heaven and worship our Lord. Receive the Lord's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You would turn in your hymnal to number 299, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Number 299, we'll sing all the verses.
aspects of Christ coming to this world. In fact, you could say the major aspect of his coming to this world in our flesh was to bring peace, as that is such a familiar term when we think of the, the incarnation, as we think of the texts of Jesus coming, even as the songs we sing, it's to bring peace. And as we are in worship, we think of that peace we have with God even now, even now that we experience a, a peace. We are not turned away. We are not rejected. There is a, a balance with God. The barriers have been removed. We have that peace. I want to read just what we have peace with the Lord in and how it was achieved in fulfilling the law. We will be reading the law of God from Exodus chapter 20. And I want us to keep in mind that that word peace, our failure to keep the law and the peace that comes in Christ. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the reading of God's law, that moral law of God, that perfect standard of righteousness. And as I already said, we keep in mind while reading that law, peace. That is what Christ came to bring in this earth, peace. We'll see that later in the message. We'll see that we have reconciliation with the Lord through a fulfillment of this law. And the peace that we have with the Lord means that this law and its judgment no longer stands on us. And then the law is rather the standard for what we do in obedience. Our glad keeping of the law to fulfill it for God's glory The coming of Christ changes that. That's all an aspect of peace. We so often take peace and and sort of just think it's, it's an absence of war, it's an absence of bad times. That's what peace is. But peace is so much more than just that. It's reconciliation. It's being brought back to that relationship with the Lord in all its respects. So not just that we aren't judged anymore, but that we have peace with the Lord so that we desire to fulfill this law. It's all-encompassing shalom. 
that Hebrew word for peace. We'll respond to the reading of God's law in song. We're going to sing hymn number 307. 307, all my heart this night rejoices. We will rejoice in our deliverance from the law's judgment in this song. We're going to sing 307 verses 1 through 4 and verse 7. The first four verses and verse 7 of 307.
As we sing of our deliverance in Christ, we also read from God's word an assurance of pardon from Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Receive that for what it is, the Lord's declaration, the Lord's acknowledgement that you are freed from the curse of the law, that those who are in Christ have no condemnation, for he came in our flesh to pay for our sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God in heaven, we come before you having read this word, this assurance of pardon, even as we are mindful of your word and what it says about the coming of your Son and peace. That single word that conveys so much and that single word that changes our entire existence and our entire life from one that was a damned life, from one that brings no joy, that has no light and only darkness that would condemn us to eternity in such a state. And the peace that is brought from our Lord Jesus Christ changes that as the sun rises, the light shines, and we see the truth. Those you have called to yourself see the truth, that there is peace with the Lord through his Son. Through belief in him we are washed clean, the lights are turned on, The death is taken away, the sting of death is taken away, and we have joy and a relationship with you. We were not just brought into your palace through what the Lord did as servants. We were not just brought in to to serve you, to wash the floors, to, to do these menial tasks. No, we were accepted as heirs, heirs with Christ who has gone before us to prepare for us a place of full peace, a place to dwell with you in harmony, and more than just harmony, more than just the absence of strife, but the existence of joy alone. This is the peace of the Lord, and we praise you for that. We praise you for the forgiveness of sins. We praise you for the life of our Savior that continues even to this day, as he has taken up And taken on the flesh, even as we read so many years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, took on this flesh that you still carry and will continue to bear for us our great intercessor, our great mediator, our great head. We have exchanged a mediator of Adam, of mere flesh and blood, and have gained the Son of God himself in flesh with us. We praise you for this great truth. We ask that this great truth would shape our life. This is something that characterizes our every step. This is something that we would desire to characterize our every action in obedience to you, even in our thoughts. For we now understand the law, and though the law is revealed to us in greater detail, though we see how we can break it so easily, and not just the the letter, but what the law conveys, so it is in that sense a stricter law, yet this doesn't bring us pain. 
For the law is fulfilled in Christ. This rather gives us a greater desire, a greater revelation for how to please your name. We ask that we would live in this way, and we ask that you would be with your people, the people you have brought peace to, that you would continue to uphold your covenant. And this prayer is merely for our own assurance. You could never fail in your promise or your word, and we ask it so that we can praise your name, so that we can thank you for that assurance and acknowledgement. We see what you did to fulfill your words and the promise to Abraham, to Moses, to David. What it took to accomplish this task was to forsake your heavenly existence. It was to, to empty yourself by taking our very form, to experience hell on this earth, to fulfill your word, because you swear to your own hurt, and you do not change. We are in awe of that truth. And we bring before you all of our needs, knowing you hear it, knowing that our desire isn't to have them simply met, it's to praise your name. We pray that you would be with Liz Port's mom and her ongoing battle with this, with health and a heart that isn't functioning as it should. Give to her healing. Give to her strength and a recovery and stamina at this time and give to the whole Port family a peace, a peace that is a derivative of the peace you bring through your son. We pray for healing for many of us who are sick and face a perpetual or seeming lingering sickness. We think of the Nedza's family struggling with sickness, that they would recover and recover well. That is for many of us here who do experience this. We pray that we would desire more and more to serve you, that you be with the work of your people, that you be with the work of missions around the world, that this peace would spread, that we would not hold on for ourselves, but that we would see it go and go forth for all your people. We praise you for your great name and for the love that you shower upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of preparation is number 310. 310, while shepherds watch their flocks. This is speaking of our text this morning. We'll be reading Luke 2, 1 to 21 and focusing on the angel's message to the shepherds. So we sing while shepherds watch their flocks. Let's stand and sing all the verses of 310.
Our text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, focusing as we will. We'll focus on all of this text, but primarily on verses 13, 14, and 15. Luke chapter 2, that can be found on page 1090 of your pew Bibles. Before we read this text, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we turn to your word, a word you revealed, a word you handpicked and selected to be contained in Holy Scripture. And we pray that we would hear it as such as your perfect revelation of a historical account that changed life, that changed our lives, and that did indeed bring peace. It's a story well known to us, and yet a story that is very dear. And we pray that we would hold it the tighter, hold it with all the more truth and desire, and that we would be that much more assured of the certainty of what you've taught us in your word, and that you'd be praised even as we remember this redemptive act that brings about our very salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the canticles of Advent, or the songs of Advent. And we come here to the third of these songs. It's not a long song, you might even call it a refrain, a chorus, a verse, and a line, but that is delivered from an amazing choir, the likes of which has never appeared or been heard on this earth before this point, 
delivering a message that had never been before given. Astonishing and grand, all delivered to lowly shepherds. In a city that was insignificant to the world. The greatest example of praise that you could see, that the heavens split open in the glory of God surrounding you and an angelic army there singing this refrain to those who meant nothing, to shepherds, as I already said, to a city that meant nothing. And it's interesting that this text begins with a proclamation of the most powerful man on the globe, Caesar Augustus. At his decree, the whole world is sent scrambling to just register themselves. There's this powerful Roman figure, this powerful emperor, and yet, he's not the one they talk of. It's not unto you today as a deliverer in Rome, the most powerful man on earth. No, it's unto you as born today, this Savior, in this forsaken town, who himself doesn't even have the ability to be in a room. But it's in a feeding trough, this, this grandeur mixed with irony. A salvation message untold of before, and we, we should see that. Everything up to this point had been predictive, had been a prophecy of what would come. With a maybe primary fulfillment, awaiting a greater fulfillment. Well, not this. This is it. Unto you is born this day, today, a Savior, Christ the Lord. That's what we see in this angelic chorus. Like I said, we'll focus on all this text, but on what the angels say, which is where Luke highlights it. Luke places all the emphasis on this angelic encounter because they bear witness to something. You see, he doesn't have many details for the birthing story itself. And I, I don't say this. I want to I be clear. I don't say this. I like birthing stories. I heard Alistair Begg on the radio say, See, women... You see how a birthing story should be told? It's one verse. Again, I don't say that. I think they're, I think they're, they're good to hear. But it's not here in the text. It, it, it's contained in one verse. There is no real details of the birth itself. The story that we all like to hear, tell me the story of what happened. How you went to the hospital or did you deliver at home. All these details, that's not what we get. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Those are the details of Jesus' actual birth. You see, the reason Luke doesn't camp out on that or add more was because it was quite ordinary. It was a birth. A birth of a son. In every way you can imagine it, in the way you yourselves have seen and experienced it, it was a birth. Now, those details aren't insignificant. It's just not the emphasis. The emphasis isn't on, on Mary. It isn't on what happened there. In fact, even in this verse, more of the emphasis is that he's laid in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. And the inn is probably better understood as a guest room. There's no place for them. This grand child, a declaration of this, this birth for someone so exalted, didn't warrant a room in the house. There's a story of the birth, but you see there's so much more to it than that. Angels, an angel first comes to shepherds in the city of the shepherd, David. Don't lose that significance as they watch their flock, likely of sheep, a common way God describes his own people. 
He chooses to send this messenger to the ordinary people of God, to those who had a role that David himself had outside the city that David himself called home, shepherds, even as the great shepherd himself is being born to guide his flock, to die for his flock. This is where he's born, and we read that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the appearance of this messenger inspires great fear, and we're so used to it that we just sort of jump over it, but we need to immerse ourselves in this, in this text, in this description. It's a narrative. Let's, let's place ourselves in the story. There you are as a shepherd, doing your normal task, like every other day before it, and then all of a sudden there's this messenger that inspires fear. This isn't just some glowing human orb. This isn't a pudgy little human bringing some message. This is a a terrifying angelic messenger. And why is that important? It's important because it's showing the credibility of this account. It's showing this is grand. Look at the messenger. The messenger himself is so grand, and this is the message he conveys. If the messenger is this grand, if the messenger inspires this atmosphere, how about the one who sent the message? And so the angel appears, and the people, the shepherds, are in terror. And you also read this detail, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord functions as this representation of, of the might of God. We see this of his presence. We see this through Exodus. You read in Exodus 40, 34, and 35, when the temple's finally constructed, we read of this glory cloud of the Lord. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord as this cloud. How do we picture this? I have no idea. We're not meant to. Luke doesn't try to describe it. It's just the glory of the Lord shone around them, whatever it was. I think the best description he gives is of some kind of cloud, as we see in the Old Testament. Whatever that means. It fills and surrounds them. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not. We hope for, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. To deliver good news, that's, that's more than just, this is a message that's good. There's a technical term they use there in the Greek. We translate it as gospel, to deliver a gospel. That's the, the way you could understand it. But what is a gospel? It referred to a, a technical term for what the Roman emperors and those of high authority would proclaim. It was a message. It was a message that they have, they've ascended to the throne or they have done this great deed and it would be sent out to all the people. Is this in the Greek? It's euangelion, this message of good news. But it was, it was used by these emperors. They proclaimed this. It was their propaganda. They proclaimed their glad tidings, and generally it would be so full that they would express themselves in divine terms, and they would express what they did as covering the world with its significance. And even they would talk about the peace that they have brought. So the angel here saying that we bring to you a euangelion, a, a message of good news, a gospel, means that this is of this child, and this isn't hyperbole. This isn't a message that is far grander than what the emperor did. This is the reality. A good news to all the people. To the people of God that hear it. Here comes this news of great joy. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto who? Unto you. 
So as you're putting yourself in the shepherd's position, which is right for us to do, because this is a declaration to the shepherds, but they represent the people of the Lord. They represent us. A message to the church, to the people of God. Unto you is born. And we need to, to see the irony again. These are nobodies. And, and the angel comes to them and says, born to you is this deliverer, this king, with a gospel, an empire-wide presentation of news that is good, comes to these lowly shepherds unto us for his church. And then notice the titles. These titles, likes of which we've never seen before. You see, the, the angel's whole encounter seems in the text short, but it's packed with meaning. The titles is introduced with three of them. A savior. A savior points to a deliverer, one like an Old Testament judge. What happened in the book of Judges, the people were oppressed, the people were beaten down. And what would the Lord do? He would raise up a savior, a judge, a deliverer. That's what the savior is. And so unto you is born. Remember, these are people, in, in a sense, captive in their own land. We've talked about that in the prior songs. So born to you is this deliverer. And then the next one, Messiah, points to his office in terms of that anointed one, which we would later see is of the prophet, priest, and king. He's anointed to those offices. But he is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one waited for, the one to fulfill these promises, the one they long for. He is born to you today. And then the last term, Lord. Lord, it indicates his sovereign authority. A term to call someone Lord like this, it can be used in everyday life. But Lord, in the biblical context, always had a, referred to the Lord God himself, Yahweh. But, but now, born to you today, is this Lord of sovereign power. The born to you, a savior, a deliverer, an anointed one, the Lord. Grand message. Now verse 12, we switch and flip into irony. Irony that, well, wait a second, does this conflict? Verse 12 is, is baffling when you hear the titles. Find this baby born today in a feeding trough. That, that, there, there seems to be a disconnect there, but that's the sign that they give. It's unmistakable. Go, you shepherds, and find in a feeding trough, because it was too crowded and they couldn't get room there. Go find them there. And so on one hand, this is highlighting the humiliation of the Lord. His condescension, his coming down to us, to our level. Humility. And so it's fitting, it's fitting that he would come down and be humble. But, but there's, on the other hand, a fittingness, we could say, that he, the, the greater David, the heir of David, is born in the city of David, with the announcements to these shepherds, and he is, he is born there. In fulfillment of prophecy, if the, the greater David, remember David himself, when Samuel came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king, David was left out of the picture. He was watching the flocks. He was the youngest. He wasn't even to be thought of. All the other brothers were there, but David wasn't. God chose David, the, the youngest, the one you would least expect. And, and, and the greater David comes, and yeah, he doesn't even have a place in the city. But he's the Savior, he's the Deliverer, he's the one selected. And so it's quite fitting. 
quite fitting that here in redemptive in God's redemptive plan, this is where God would be born. He called his shot long ago, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be counted among the clans of Judah. From you will come the ruler. It wasn't a mistake. God knew exactly what he was doing. He, he didn't bring about his Savior to those who weren't his people in a grand palace. He brought him forth in the line of the one who was going to save them, in the line of David, the promises that he had given. And here he is. Did the shepherds fully understand that? Well, not, not fully, certainly. I wouldn't be surprised if they made these connections. How could you not? How could you not when there's this angelic messenger there declaring this? How could you not be in utter awe of what is taking place? And then... It gets that much more grand in verse 13. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. How do we begin to understand this, to understand what this is like? We're not told just what members of the angelic beings are here. Are they seraphim? Are there cherubim? Who are here? Well, just to even get an idea of this angelic army, that's a better representation, translation of hosts, an angelic army, We'll read a description. Actually, Ezekiel 1, which we're not going to read, it's rather long. And on your own time, you could read Ezekiel 1, where the prophet tries to describe the, the angels and who they are. We're not going to read there. You can turn there in your own time. But in two other places, there is a description of heavenly, of heavenly beings, of seraphim, of cherubim. Isaiah 6 describes seraphim with six wings and voices that made the temple foundation shake. Ezekiel 10.14 describes cherubim. It says, And every one had four faces. The first face was the face of the cherub, and the second face was a human face, and the third face the face of a lion, and the fourth face the face of an eagle. Now that might conjure up some rather strange image in our minds, and that wouldn't have been the way it was. It's not like the shepherds would have thought, Boy, that, whoever drew that picture got it wrong. No, he, they're trying to describe what is almost indescribable. An angelic host, an army who have these, this appearance. And, and, and how do we explain that? How do, how do we convey it? How does Luke convey in writing what they appeared like? And so they, they use what they would have known, creatures they would have known. Does that mean there was a literal eagle face? Can't answer that. I don't think we need to. It's, it's describing a grandeur of their appearance, of the frightfulness of their appearance, their power. Well, again, what angelic host? Who are all here? Which order of angels? doesn't say, but that just gives you an idea of who these beings were. They filled the sky. A multitude, an army, proclaiming this one message. I think at times in depictions of this event, you know, you can see almost like a church choir hung in the air. I don't think it was like that. I think what they would have proclaimed would have been no doubt beautiful, but probably closer to some kind of majestic roar than what would be just a nice choir song. That's not to downplay choirs. You get my point. Powerful message. And here it is. It's simple. It's short. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here's their song. Here's their refrain. And what we learn here is that Jesus' birth and the angelic chorus testify to the certainty of God's glory in our peace. God's glory in our 
peace. Here's what I mean. The angels are praising the Lord for something. They're giving Him glory for doing something. And what they're praising the Lord for doing is bringing His people peace. God apparently counts this to be an event that would give Him so much glory to praise His name that He brings peace to His people. This host, this army, were those who at one time barred us from the presence of the Lord, stood with a flaming sword, kept us from Eden, guarded the presence of the Lord, and now a whole multitude of them don't come and proclaim you're not welcome. It's that, it's that word, peace, enter. And the Lord is glorified in the fact that what he has done He's accomplished in the promises of the covenant. He's brought it to completion. Unto you is born the one that removes all barriers to the Lord. Peace with him. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's a good translation. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who are those? Well, it's it's the God-fearers. Those who believe and trust. You may have heard... A different translation before of goodwill towards men. And that sort of conveys the idea that Christ's coming was was for just all men. Now, it was in the sense that Christ's coming would be for all types of people, all those God called to himself. But a better translation is that peace to those to whom he is pleased. He came to his own people. He came to be received by his own people. Those are the ones who have peace with God. You see, the way the world understands the coming of Christ, if they think of it at all, is sort of this goodwill, this general goodwill endowment to the earth. Well, he's come, and that's good, and, and so maybe there's some kind of goodwill, and that's just devolved into whatever we have today, seasons, greetings, and all these things. They're really meaningless. No, this is good news and peace to those with whom the Lord is pleased. And to be described in that way, with those the Lord is pleased, to be glorified and bringing to them peace. The church, those with whom God is pleased. We need to hear that too. We have to preach and understand our sin, our unworthiness to understand even what the gospel is, but we also have to understand what we're heirs to. Our standing. When we proclaim the gospel to the world, it's not that this is a pretty nice message. It'll give you some hope. It'll give you some peace in this lower level peace. Take away some anxiety. No, we need to proclaim to, to believe in this son. Means you're with those that God is pleased with, happy with, who he loves. And so he's come, who he's come to deliver. Be pleased with the peace of the Lord. It's this day it has happened. It's been accomplished. And the text goes on to describe the shepherd's response. We have the community's wonder as the shepherds go immediately and leave their their flock and go and seek out this child. They find him. They tell Joseph and Mary what happened. Joseph and Mary, well, Joseph in a dream, Mary in actual reception of Gabriel herself, had already encountered angels and this message, and yet here it is. They have their child, and in comes these shepherds who convey this story. No wonder it says that Mary ponders these things in her heart, treasures these things, mulls them over. It's dear to her. 
these men that they don't know. They're visiting Bethlehem. They're there for the sense. And here, here they come and fall down before the child. Tell them, hey, we just had the host of heaven declare peace to those with whom God is pleased. They told us where we would find this child. And we found them. It's a poignant display. And so the community itself receives this message. There are others who marvel. They likely made quite a commotion. They weren't trying to keep it quiet. And so Bethlehem itself seems to be somewhat stirred by what's going on. There's so much here that only God could do. Born to descendants of David comes the answer to the promise God made with David of his greater eternal son. In the city of David, fulfilling prophecy about where the Messiah would be born, comes the Savior or Deliverer like the judges and kings of old, an anointed one to be prophet, priest, and king. The Lord, who up to this point meant Yahweh himself, has come to his people, to shepherds, keeping their flock, revealing the coming of the true shepherd of the sheep. All these fulfillments. So that's the angelic chorus. That's their, that's their message. But where do we go with that? Our second point this morning. What we do with it. And it's certainty concerning these things. We may not have expected that. And to get actually that context and that answer, I would like you to turn to the beginning of Luke's Gospel, to chapter 1. Luke 1, and we're going to read the first four verses of Luke as Luke gives us the reason he writes. He establishes the context of all the stories he's going to tell and of the message that they bear. Luke 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Pay attention to that verse, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Why does Luke write? Why does he tell us about an angelic host and include this message and include this chorus? It's so that you would have certainty to the gospel good news that's been proclaimed to you. That you would know it. That you'd believe it. That you'd be assured of it. This is why he writes. And I held off reading it to here because it's made all the more grand when you realize the historical events he's talking about is this angelic messenger coming, and then the host of heaven ripping the heavens open with the glory of God surrounding them. And this is what they saw. And you know what? Luke talked to the eyewitnesses, or at least to those who spoke to the eyewitnesses. What do I mean? Provide this context. The the gospel and all these events weren't in a vacuum. It is quite likely... That many of these shepherds, some who were younger, or at least their families and family members and friends, would have been alive during all the events of Christ's life. That when Luke would have written, there would have been those who would have made it to older years who would have known this. Those with whom Luke could have even spoken, or if he didn't directly speak to them, those who did. 
Just imagine what it would be like. And I know this is speculation, but it's not undue speculation. And why do I say that? Because Luke tells us that there are these eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, and they've delivered this message. And he doesn't qualify what that is. It's to all the events of these things. So just imagine, if you would, that Luke or someone he spoke to talked to these shepherds and to their families when they came home and said, you will never believe What just happened? You'll never believe what I just heard and the message that was given. Now there was some time in which Jesus was to grow. There was a time in which he would grow in wisdom and yet, again, is it out of the realm of possibility that these shepherds would have followed this child's life in some way? That this message would have been declared and they would have known it And they would have known this is the one that actually the angels came, declared this message about. I say that because what Luke is hoping to do is to give us certainty, and we need it. The Christmas message, the incarnation, wasn't given to us so it would spice up the holidays. It wasn't given to us so that we could have something greater to hook on our parties. Hook our parties too. Yeah, it's great. See, if we can just take a little of this heavenly stuff, it makes this, this so much more grand. That, that wasn't why it was written. Why was it? So that your faith would be strengthened in it. And I've experienced that personally. And we, we all doubt. We all have questions. We've all had that thought. What if what I'm believing isn't? What if it's all fake? What if we got this wrong? And so where do you turn? Well, turn to Luke's gospel. Why did he write? That you would know these things. And when you read it with this eye, when you read, here are eyewitness historical accounts of everything that happened. And Luke, this careful scholar, compiled these things, all for the purpose that Theophilus and and the Christians that he was writing to as well through him would know that the gospel they heard happened. That 2,000 plus years ago, there were angels that ripped open the sky and proclaimed this message, it happened. Christ came. So we see the scale of all these things and why this message matters, that we would know what we've been taught is real. The Savior's come, and it is good news for those who fear the Lord. Salvation and deliverance all encompassed in that word peace has come to the people of God. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's amazing. That's why we have the gospel. Rather simple point of application today. It's Luke's point. Have certainty and rejoice. Do what the angels did and glorify the Lord, that he is glorified. He finds it praiseworthy, and his delight is to bring peace to the ones he loves. Why else did he come? The whole reason. Luke isn't the only one who writes for this purpose. His gospel isn't the only one that's given an explanation. John's gospel is given one as well in John 20, 31. 
John writes about the gospel, about what Christ has done. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The point of Revelation and the gospels is that you may have life, and indeed you do, because we have peace with the Lord. Peace he promised. Isaiah 57, 19 says, Peace. Peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. He describes his people and the Messiah who was to come. Peace, peace. We read it several weeks ago in Isaiah 40 when we looked at Lord's Day 1. It's comfort, comfort my people. The comfort of the Lord is wrapped up in the peace of the Lord. All these things that come in Christ himself that were declared by an angelic army whose message roared on the hills of Bethlehem, the city of David. This is the foundation of our faith. And we need to believe it. And we need to have certainty of it that we would have life in Christ's name. We do. For that boy rose and grew and fulfilled all things and brought us peace. The gospel, good news of the angels to God's people is the one that brings reconciliation and peace with him and that's we celebrate in Christ's coming. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Thank him and praise him for the certainty of our faith. Let's pray. Dear Lord God in heaven, we come before you to praise you for the story you wrote and the narrative you carried out. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, to come to us in our flesh to begin as we all began, conceived in a womb and born as a baby. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for upholding Christ in his earthly ministry and for applying the work of Christ and his redemption to us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give to us assurance and certainty that what we believe is not in vain, That the message we hold to as the foundation of our faith, the coming of the Lord to save us, indeed happened. And may we have certainty of our faith. We pray this in Christ's name.